0: We're going to spend the next six weeks on the on the New Testament. And uh, if you remember, we did do the Old Testament series uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, part of this stems out of the fact that Orchard Hill had done a survey some years ago, and, and the congregation said we'd like to know more about the Bible. And so this is one way that we're approaching that and trying to, uh, to work through the Bible, is giving two overview sections, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament. And so we're doing that this year. Um, very much like we did with the Old Testament series We're going to do it in a similar fashion Where each week we'll have an introductory video like that and uh, uh, Just like Ed did and, and so we're going to bring that in And then like Ed said One teacher will come in and teach um, Something more specific out of that particular section of the day Also if you received one of these um, You should have received a bookmark uh, on the inside of that, there are the daily scripture readings. and so they will also coordinate with each uh, each teaching each week and each section of the week so you can follow along with those. And um, again on the back, uh, very helpful is a timeline of the New Testament. So uh, I don't know about you. Uh, when I was um, young and even into my 20s, uh, I didn't know that much about the Bible, uh, how it was organized, why are there different books inside of the one book, uh, if that was confusing. Why don't they call it chapters? Or uh, you know, so, so some of these things I just didn't understand. And so I'm glad that we get to do this series because if you're like me, uh, you may not understand these. Uh, but uh, but for some of these who do, it's it's just a good refresher course. So why don't I go ahead and pray, and then we'll we'll begin to, to get into the teaching for today. So if you just join me in prayer, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's been passed on for centuries accurately, historically accurate. God, we just thank you for the way you reveal yourself in Scripture. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside of us and helps us to read Scripture and understand Scripture. And Lord, all of this is just so we can know you and respond to you, to follow you. So God, we just pray that you would help us through your word to know you and take steps closer to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my entire uh, talk today is really going to be about this one one thing, um, and, and so I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to spoil it for you. The whole talk is going to be about Jesus is God, and for some of you this may seem very basic. You might say, "Well, I've got this one. I've had it since Sunday school. I totally understand that." And this is pretty foundational Christian um, understanding that Jesus is God. This is, this is what Christians uh, believe. But there's uh, It hasn't always been the case. Um, For the first 400 years uh, after Christ died, there were a lot of debates about this. They would ask questions like, if Jesus is God, then what part of Jesus is God and what part of him is human? That's not that easy of a question to answer. And so so people had questions about this, and this was something that, that early Christianity wrestled with. And you say, well, what does all this have to do with Jesus' miracles? Well, in in part, um, one part of Jesus' miracles, not only did he heal people, but the miracles, they also demonstrate that Jesus is God. Because Jesus was doing things only God could do, we know that Jesus is God. Even though we may not always be able to explain it all that well. So why is it hard to believe that Jesus is God? Why, why would this even be hard to believe? Well, let's look at Scripture. What does Scripture say about God? This is the God of the Old Testament. We're, we're saying that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who came to earth, and uh, not like the God of the ocean, or like Zeus, or Orion, or some other gods. We're saying... God who came to Jesus, that is the God of the Old Testament. That's who Jesus is. So we look at the God of the Old Testament, and this is what it says about God of the Old Testament. Even the highest heavens cannot contain God. So you think about all the stars in the sky, and and what we know of our galaxy, millions, billions of stars. And yet we are one galaxy of many, millions of galaxies beyond that. Even the highest heavens cannot contain God. And then, and then it says this: the whole earth is full of his glory. So God fills the entire earth with his glory. And yet, and yet, there's this part in scripture where it says this: but God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And so, somebody who can't be contained by all the stars, and yet his fullness dwells within God. Have you ever gone shopping and, and bought like a comforter, or maybe a sleeping bag? And you get it home, and you, you unpack it, and you say, this is great. And you find a flaw in it, and you try to put it back in its package. Have you ever had that moment? My wife and I go hiking, and we every day we pull out our sleeping bags, and I know, like, at the end of the night, after I sleep in this, I've got to get it back in that package. And I don't know if it's going to go tomorrow. I mean, this is what they're saying. How can you fit something back in this package that doesn't seem to do it justice? This is the issue that we have. There's a point in scripture, as recorded in the book of Matthew, where uh, Jesus has been doing a number of miracles. He's been going along, his disciples are with him, and they're seeing him do these miracles. And there's a point where uh, they've seen him do one, two, three, four, multiple miracles. And then they see him do one more, and you can almost sense it in their voice. They go, who, what kind of a man is this? It's almost like they're, I don't even know anymore. This guy's crazy, he's doing amazing things. What kind of a man is this? And I tell you this, how you answer that question will determine everything about how you read the New Testament in this series. How you answer that question will determine not only how you read the Bible, but it will will determine everything about how you live your life. What kind of man is this? So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, just a couple notes on Matthew. Um, one, uh, Ed already gave a good introduction to Matthew, tax collector, he was one of Jesus' followers. Um, uh, one other thing about uh, Matthew is that 20 times in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus is said to be fulfilling a prophecy. Now this in itself is a miracle. The prophecies that he's talking about were the Old Testament prophecies, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever around. And so Jesus, these prophecies were written hundreds of years before, and Jesus came around and Matthew was saying, look guys, that was to fulfill that prophecy back there. Sometimes he's, he just slides it in. Sometimes he's very obvious about it and says, this was to fulfill the prophecy. And he even quotes it as if we, so we can't miss it. This is a really cool thing about Matthew. Twenty times in the book of Matthew, he's, he's fulfilling a prophecy, and that in and of itself is miraculous. We also have to ask ourselves, who is this God? If we say Jesus is God, well then, who is God? Because that will tell us who Jesus is. God of the Old Testament, there are two major themes in the Old Testament about God. Yahweh God. Yahweh was his personal name in the Old Testament. And and there are two major themes. So the first theme is creation. We see this in Genesis 1 where God created the whole world. He created you. He created all the universe. He created it all. How did he do it? He just spoke it into existence. He just spoke and there it was. Amazing. The other theme that is in the Old Testament is redemption, redeeming. God is a creating God, bringing new life. God is a redeeming God, restoring life back to the way it should be. He's a restoring God, and he does this how? He does it with his hand. In Exodus chapter 13, he's bringing his people out of slavery with his hand, it says. So the hand of God is at work among his people. The voice of God is creating among his people. And so we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter eight. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to to, to get it out. Um, if you didn't bring one, we have uh, scriptures will be on the screen as well. We're going to read mostly all the chapter, not everything. Um, one thing about the, the technique: there's a few different ways to study scripture. There's many, many different ways. Um, we just did the life verse, uh, where you study kind of one, two verses, and you and you focus on those, and that's that's great. There's another uh, Bible study technique that you can you can maybe pick out a story. Uh, and so there might be a story of a few verses and you're trying to figure what's going on there and study that But that's that speak to you. But then there's, there's another kind and not one is better than the other they're just different. There's another kind and this is what we're going to do today is we're going to link one story after the other. So we're actually going to be reading through a a few different stories and say, how do these all link together? What is the Holy Spirit trying to show us through the Scripture by linking these stories together in this way? We don't get every detail of Jesus, right? We don't get him, like, tying his shoes, going to the bathroom. We don't get these details. So they link together specific stories with a specific purpose. And so we come to Matthew chapter 8, and we say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell us? What are you trying to tell us about Jesus? So we'll pick up, and uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says this, When he, Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lepers, let's talk about leprosy for a minute. Leprosy is, at this time, a very contagious disease. Uh, So sometimes the lepers, uh, people who had leprosy, they would be almost banished to the edge of their town and into like a a leper colony of sorts. um, So nobody else would get it. Uh, it, it Very contagious. If you do contract the disease uh, by touch, you would um, almost have certain slow and certain death. Um, you would not be healed without a miracle. There was no fear at the time for leprosy. So uh, something very dangerous uh, to the society. And so they would, they would have the people go to the edge of society. But, but the people with leprosy, they still got to eat, right? They still got to live. Um, and so, and so uh, if they would happen to come around... Uh, you would have to say the lepers were required to say unclean as they come around. So if we had somebody with leprosy come in here right now, they would say unclean, unclean, and everybody back here would be able to move away so they don't so they don't get leprosy themselves. Leprosy, lepers were the outcasts. They were the dirty of the dirty. So how does Jesus respond to him? He comes to Jesus, and how does Jesus respond? We'll go to verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He said, I am willing... Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Jesus touches the untouchable. If there's one thing that you walk away with today, know that. Know that. Have you ever felt like you were untouchable? Have you ever felt as though people looked at you as though they wished you were on the outside of society? As though they wished you were not part of the group? you ever felt people's eyes on you as though they were wishing you would have to call out unclean, unclean, so they could avoid you? You are the people that God is trying to reach. And he does. He touches the untouchable. We'll keep going. So we're going to pick up in verse 5. It says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, Uh, a centurion came to him asking for help or he said my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering Jesus said to him well I will go and heal him the centurion said Lord I do not deserve to have you come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed now a centurion um, a centurion is in charge of a hundred people he's he's in the Roman guard so very much like a century is a hundred years a centurion is in charge of a hundred people so, so this man knows what it is to command things. He's a commander. He commands people to go and do things. What he knows about Jesus is the same thing. Jesus, I know you are a commander. I know you have power and authority. And by your very word, you could heal my servant. You don't even have to come to the house. Jesus, how does he respond to this? In verse 13, he says, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now, did you catch what happened? And when we're linking the stories together, did you catch what happened? How does Jesus heal the first person? He heals him with his hand. And how does Jesus heal the second person? He heals him with his voice. Matthew, in subtle ways, is trying to tell us Jesus is God. God in the Old Testament is redeeming people. He's bringing new life. He's restoring life. He's creating life with his hand and with his voice and now Jesus in the New Testament is doing the exact same thing Matthew wants us to see that he's doing it in subtle ways it's like he's whispering Jesus is God do you see it do you see it Jesus is God and if we didn't pick it up the first time he's going to do it again let's keep reading in verse 14 when Jesus came to Peter's house he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her she got up and began to wait on him she was healed right away when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Matthew is trying to help us along here. He's saying, if you didn't see it the first time around, I'm going to show you it again. Jesus is God. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who operated, who healed, brings new life, who life with his hand and with his voice. And if we didn't catch it yet if we're still not getting it, if you're like me and you're not getting it yet, he gives us one more assurance. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. You say, okay, I get it. I get it. Jesus is God. Matthew, you've, you've finished your task. You've accomplished this. You've shown me that Jesus is God. I believe you. Jesus is doing things that only God can do. He's, he's God. I'm with you. I learned that in Sunday school. Uh, thank you for the lesson. And uh, So what now? It's like Ed said in a video. He says, there's going to be these so what questions. So what? So what? Jesus is God. What are you going to do? It's like Matthew was waiting for us to ask that question. Because the first half of chapter 8... He's showing us that Jesus is God. In the second half of chapter 8, he's going to he's going to pose those questions. So what now? And he's going to give us three different pictures of how people respond to Jesus being God. So we'll pick up in verse 18. It says this, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Couple things to pick up here. Um, When it says another disciple, so these are two disciples, people who have followed Jesus to this point. Jesus is saying, we're going to get in this boat and go to the other side. Two disciples come up and they say, I would love to, God, but I'm not sure if I can get in the boat. And Jesus, as though he reads them, as though he's reading what's really going on in their heart, he responds in ways that are a little bit off to us, but we just trust that Jesus is God. He knows what's going on in their heart. Here's here's what I see in there. The first man, he's a teacher. He's a teacher. A teacher who comes to Jesus who is a better teacher, who is the best teacher of the day. Jesus has perfect teaching. And this teacher comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says... I don't know that you will. Because where I'm going, there isn't a place of comfort. You see, what this man was hoping for is that he would be able to learn from Jesus and then apply his learning. He would be able to go then and gather his own disciples and make a living for himself. So he's going to take from Jesus what he can and then go back and apply it in his own life. But just what he was seeking, though, was, was more of a comfort. He, he, he was going to be more comfortable. He was not He was going to follow Jesus to the point that it was advantage to him and then he was going to break off and go into his own thing. Jesus says, that's not what following me is about. You've got to be willing to risk your own comfort if you're going to really follow me. And the second man is like this. The second man comes up and, and he says, uh, let my, but first before I follow you across the, across the water, let me first go and bury my own dead. And Jesus is, comes across kind of harsh, like, well, let the dead bury their own dead. That seems really harsh to us. What's he? what's he trying to say to that person right there? Well, that man, that man, he, as a social expectation, he would be expected to bury his father. It's just what you were expected of that day. If your, if your father dies, you would be the one expected. Jesus is saying, there's something bigger going on here, and it's me. And if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to let go of your society's expectations. You have to be willing to risk those things to follow me to the other side of the water. Are you willing to risk those things? Are you willing to risk comfort? Are you willing to risk society's expectations and other expectations of you? So here's the big picture for Matthew. He's saying Jesus is God. And he's saying that Jesus is worth following. He's worth following, leaving behind our sense of comfort, our hope for comfort. He's worth following, leaving behind uh, other people's expectations of us. And here's the thing, because only true disciples will follow Jesus into the boat. Only true disciples will get in a boat with Jesus and go to the other side. But it's only those true disciples that get in that boat that really get to see Jesus do some cool things. The other guys just get left behind. So let's follow Jesus to the other side and see what happens. We'll pick up in verse 23. And he got into the boat. Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without a warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. This is a little bit of Matthew humor, by the way. If you notice, he just said, I have no place to lay my head. And the very next scene, he's what? Sleeping. A little Matthew humor. So he's sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of a man is this? Just one observation. Where are the disciples? They're following Jesus. Did you catch that, verse twenty three? They're behind him. Sometimes we try to leave Jesus. Jesus, come over here. They're behind Jesus. They're following him where he's going. But Jesus says, Why are you so afraid? Here's here's the thing. Why are you so afraid? I was thinking about this. Why are you so afraid? I have a um, picture up here that uh, when I was in, my wife and I lived in Colorado for a, for a time. And one of the things that I wanted to do when we moved to Colorado was to go rock climbing, something that I really look forward to, and to climb on actual rocks, not just the ones that they have at the fair where it's like the plastic rock wall. Although those are fun, too. So we, uh, so we wanted to go rock climbing, and you can see at this point, this is the first time I've ever rock climbed. This is a picture. It's zoomed in. I'm actually up quite a ways. You can see the trees. So I'm above a tree and, and still moving up. And, uh, and uh, I am scared here. I, I'll tell you this, I'm scared. People have chalk bags because their hands get sweaty. I have chalk bags because my hands just sweat with fear. <laughs> so you can see my chalk bag hanging on on my back, bottom side. Anyway, uh, what, what I really want to show here is, I'm nervous, I'm admitting this. I, I was terribly nervous. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Here's what I want us to see, though. is, is Look at the line. Do you see the safety line? Before I ever get on the wall, the first thing that you learn to do when you climb is you learn how to tie the knot that secures you to that safety line. That safety line reaches to the top and then it goes all the way back down to the bottom to a person, a friend of mine, who is anchoring me. So that if I fall, I'm not going to fall. He's going to catch me right away. This is this is what Jesus is saying here. Look, don't you know who's with you? I'm going to catch you if you fall. I'm with you in the boat. I've got your back. The thing about, think about the Christian life though in following Jesus is, is we have a safety line that doesn't just reach up to the top of the rocks. It's a safety line that stretches to heaven. We have a safety line that stretches to heaven. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? I got your back. And it's anchored all the way down to the ground to Jesus who walked on earth and joined us here. So let's keep uh, Let's keep going. Jesus, really, the question that he's asking is, "Don't you know who you have with you in your boat?" And the disciples, they don't yet. The disciples really don't know who's in the boat with them. But this is only the eighth chapter of Matthew. They've still got twenty more chapters to learn who Jesus is. So there's there's some time. But Jesus is saying, "Don't you know who's in your boat?" So we, we pick up in verse uh, twenty-eight, and uh, and this is where it goes. When he arrived, Jesus, at the other side, in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Here's another little Matthew um, sort of humor. Um, The disciples don't know who's in the boat with them. They don't know who Jesus is. They've been watching him do miracles, and they're just not quite sure yet what they believe about Jesus. And yet, the demon-possessed men, the demons recognize who Jesus is. They know it. They see it in him before he's ever done anything. They see it. They say, what do you want with this son of God? They know who he is. They've called him out. And they not only know who he is, but they know he's on mission. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You hear that? They know who he is and they know his mission. Something <laughs> the disciples have been totally missing. And yet, what does Jesus do? Well, the rest of the story is this. Jesus casts those demons out of those two men, puts them in a herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs runs into the water, and they drown. He does this all just by saying the word, go, go. So we're at the end of Matthew chapter 8. That brings us to the end. You say, well, what do we have here? What do we walk away from Matthew chapter 8? What do we have here? I have two points, two points. First of all, uh, the miracles of Jesus explain Jesus. What do you mean by this? The miracles of Jesus explain who he is because he was doing things that only God could do. It explains that Jesus is God. Jesus is God and he alone is our savior and our king. He alone is worthy to follow and worship. He alone is, is worthy for us to abandon even our sense of comfort for something better because Jesus knows better for us. To let go of social expectations, expectations of other people that they might have on us. He alone is worthy for us to follow. Secondly, the miracles of Jesus, they examine his followers. They examine his followers. Matthew gives us three pictures of, of different ways to respond to Jesus. Three pictures. The first picture is this people who are half devoted to Jesus. They'd come with Jesus so far, and they said, I don't know if I can go any further. I don't know if I can go any further. And Jesus hits them with some hard, some things that they needed to hear at that point. He kind of gives them a a, a choice. Are you going to come with me or not? See, and they have baggage that's holding them back. Maybe this is you. Maybe you've come so far with Jesus and you're not sure about the next step. You're not sure what it's going to look like. Maybe you've got some baggage that you need to let go of before you take one more step with Jesus. I'll tell you this. This is not a bad place to be. This is where many of us are. This is is where we grow. It's not a bad place to be, but it's not a good place to stay. Jesus wants us to keep taking steps closer to him. Like I said, this is only the 8th chapter. There's room to grow. So it's not a bad place to be, but it's not a good place to stay. Second picture, the second picture that they offer us is the uh, is the uh, um, the demons. It's the last picture, really, but, but we'll come around to the third. So they, these guys, they know who Jesus is, they know his mission, and, and they ignore it, and actually they oppose it. These demons do. What happens to them? They're cast into the pigs, sent into the water to drown. I pray this is not you. I pray this is not you but I feel like I have to say it because it's what the Word of God says. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just letting Scripture speak. And then we have the picture of the disciples who followed Jesus into the boat. This is the picture that I love about the disciples is they don't have it all figured out. And still, even after all of those miracles, they're still saying, what kind of a man is this? They don't have it all figured out. And yet they're willing to get in the boat, they're willing to step out, to get into the boat, to follow Jesus' invitation. They're willing to to leave their families, they're willing to leave the social expectations. Remember, they dropped their nets, they left their jobs, they left their families to follow Jesus. And Jesus says this, these people are the people who get into the boat, they're devoted to God. They're more than half devoted to God, fully devoted and so they get into the boat, and this is they get to see Jesus do the really cool things. Those who get into the boat get to see Jesus do the really cool things. And here's the promise. It comes from John chapter 14. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. He will do even greater things than these. See, we've been invited into the redeeming, the creating, the miraculous mission of God. Are you going to join in? Will you be the hands of Jesus? Will you reach out and touch the untouchable? Will you love the unlovable? Will you be the hands of Jesus? Will you minister to those in need? And will you be the mouth of Jesus? Will you speak new life? Will you pray boldly? Will you speak healing into people's lives? Boldly, with power and authority like Jesus says we have. Will you speak truth to those who need to hear it? Will you be the hands and the mouth of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to reveal to us your will for our lives. And not only that, but you sent him into the world to give us an example of what we can follow and how we might be able to do that. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our great teacher. He's our example. But he's also our Lord and Savior. Just pray that He would help us as we learn how to follow him. To take steps. To take steps from where we are today and grow closer each day. Father, we thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.